You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as never going to be an FTC commissioner, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Luckily, we have an FTC commissioner here. In the red chair is Rebecca Kelly Slaughter, one of the commissioners of the Federal Trade Commission. She's been in that post since May of 2018, previously served as chief counsel to Senator Chuck Schumer. She's one of the two Democratic commissioners? Correct. Correct. And there are three Republican ones. Correct. Uh, Commissioner Slaughter, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. So much to talk about. There's so much going on with the FTC. So let's begin um, sort of setting the table. I've been uh, in the past, and I'm going to try to keep an open mind, uh, critical of the past 10 years of the FCC, where they sort of uh, punted the ball. And Google punted the ball and a lot of the, the tech stuff. We're going to stick to tech stuff, but I know you guys have a huge purview. So why don't you why don't we begin by explaining what the FTC does? Um, but it's it's been lately the regulatory agency for the internet because there isn't one bes- except for the Justice Department and maybe the FCC. Sure. So the Federal Trade Commission was set up in 1914, mm-hmm. so we're 105 years old now. Um, and it has a mission that has two sides, competition and consumer protection. And we enforce primarily the FTC Act, which prohibits unfair and deceptive acts and practices and unfair methods of competition. Mm-hmm. So that's antitrust, a big, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's vague and broad, and that's a good thing about our statute. It allows us to adapt to harms that are real in 2019, not just what was real in 1914. But it what also was real in 1914. It had to. Have been well, there were some real antitrust problems right. in 1914 that right. needed to be dealt with. There were not internet problems, Banks, right? Banks, problem. oil, mm-hmm. railroads, mm-hmm. but there were not. Internet problems. Right. You know, the technological universe looked very different. So that's been a really evolving part of the FTC's mission. I think we have an intentionally broad mission that is intended to allow us to adapt to that, but it also is work for the agency to keep up and make sure that we're not just catching up with yesterday's problems, but staying ahead of tomorrow's. Right. And, and talk about the broad amount of things that you do. I mean, when I interviewed Marguerite Vestager, she's also doing, like, furniture makers. She's do, she, There's lots of things. Yeah. They, or, or electric wire makers or things like that. Talk about yeah. the broad range of things. Most people right now are focused, the FTC, on the Internet companies because there's nowhere else that they're reg- even slightly regulated anywhere else. Sure. And on the consumer protection side, we do a huge amount of work in prohibiting fraud mm-hmm. and student loan scams and debt relief scams and all kinds of bad, scammy behavior like that. On the competition side, we review mergers and acquisitions. We pursue cases against anti-competitive conduct. And I think it's really important to remember that antitrust problems in the United States are not limited to the tech universe. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of concentration in a lot of industries right now. So, uh, for example, last month, or earlier this month, we sued to block a merger between two title insurance companies. That's mm-hmm. what makes buying your house more expensive. Right. We brought a case earlier this year against um, the middleman in e-prescribing mm-hmm. for, on a monopolization claim. So lots of industries that are not directly tech-related, although many of them have tech implications. Mm-hmm but really cut across huge swaths of the economy. And then depending if it's the FDA or the FCC, a lot of the different uh, agencies intersect with tech 
yeah. as a tech industry. Now, how many people work for the FTC right now? I want to get people a sense of how small, small. it is. It's yeah. small. So we currently have about 1,100 full-time employees. Mm-hmm. And for comparison, at the beginning of the Reagan administration, we had about 1,800. Mm-hmm. So we have gone down in size mm-hmm. as our mandate has increased, in and, my opinion. And the budget? The budget has been uh, roughly flat or nominally flat in actual numbers, which means really it's getting smaller. Mm-hmm. We're having fewer and fewer employees every year. Which is what? what it's is about $306 million a year. The reason why I pointed out is the Federal Election Commission is $70 million. It's very small. It's, it, a, it's a super small group of people that are monitoring enormous swaths of everything and then also are dealing with technological challenges that come in. But for— Good or bad, the, the the two agencies that are focused on the Internet would be, because since there's hardly any regulation, in fact, there's almost none. I think there is none, um, except in Europe and, and some possibly California when it has the Privacy Act that passes, um, would be you, the FCC, a little bit around net neutrality, and then the Justice Department, which under Megan Delrahim uh, right now, but the antitrust division of, of the Justice Department. So there's a lot of things you all uh, have tackled. Why don't you talk a little bit about your history and then uh, and how you look at sort of the landscape of the FTC right now? Because you're all looking— at a lot of companies. Sure. And we have a really interesting moment in FTC history right now because there are five commissioners on the FTC, as you mentioned. By law, three, no more than three can come from the party of the president. So we have three Republicans and two Democrats right now. And all of us started at basically the same time. Mm-hmm. Four of us were sworn in on the same day in May 2018, and the fifth started a couple months later. It's the New. first time in the history of the agency since it started that all five turned over at once. And mm-hmm. that's a big change for the agency. We're also all um, what I think the staff would call engaged, mm-hmm. sort of quote-unquote engaged. Irritating, I think. Yes, I think I have a lot of sympathy for the staff because yeah. five new engaged commissioners all at the same time means a lot of new opinions to deal with and grapple with. And we come from a variety of backgrounds. So I, uh, before I was here, I spent about a decade working on Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. covering tech, telecom, antitrust, consumer protection, all of these things from a policy perspective. But I hadn't done enforcement work. Mm -hmm. My Democratic uh, colleague comes from a consumer protection enforcement background and has uh, went to business school, not law school. So he has a real mentality into how companies think about things and the decisions that they made. Mm -hmm. One of the Republicans was my counterpart in Senator Cornyn's office. So he also came from the Hill. One of the other Republicans uh, was in law practice and was um, at Delta Mm -hmm. in their counsel's office. And the chairman has been an antitrust lawyer at law firms and at the FTC for decades. So we have a variety of perspectives and a variety of viewpoints, and I think that that's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. I think we're challenging all of us in different ways, the way things have been done traditionally. Um, But I think that that also means that it's a moment of real change and an opportunity for change at the agency. So talk about that, because changing things are done how so? That it used to be more partisan? Because I don't think Washington has ever been more partisan than today. No, and in or fact— maybe they have, but uh, well, I was certainly in, not living in, for that. In my experience in Washington, it's never mm-hmm. been more partisan than mm-hmm. today. The FTC has a strong tradition of bipartisanship. That's a good thing. It's good to be able to find solutions and common ground with people who don't always agree with you. But it's also important to stand your ground and do what you think is right— where you can't find those common ground solutions. What I mean by change is that in the FTC's history, particularly in the latter half of the 20th century, there was a lot of pushback against the agency, particularly from the right, Mm -hmm. for alleged overreach. Mm -hmm. So too aggressive on antitrust, too aggressive on consumer protection. There were allegations that the FTC was trying to be the national nanny. Mm -hmm. The budget got cut. Its rulemaking authority got curtailed. And I think there's a lot of... um, maybe PTSD is the right word, within the agency community about pushback against overreach. Mm -hmm. And this was over, what had they done? So uh, they tried to pass regulations limiting the kinds of commercials that could be targeted at kids. Mm -hmm. There was very aggressive antitrust enforcement in the 60s, and Mm -hmm. this was before Bork came in and sort of had called for a rethinking Mm -hmm. of antitrust to make it much less aggressive. So I think we're now at a moment where... I appreciate the history of concern about over-enforcement. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure I agree with it, but I appreciate it. But I think we need to be equally concerned about Mm under-enforcement. And Mm -hmm. with the responsibility that we have, sort of uniquely, as you point out, in the federal government, we need to be as creative and strategic and aggressive as we can 
within our limited resources and within our 105-year-old statute. Yeah, my feeling, you know, and I, I, I went back and looked before this interview about in articles I did 10 years ago about Google um, when they were trying to take over Yahoo Search. And at the time, I think the FTC did stop it in some way. There was no official ruling, I think. It just was like it, it wasn't going to fly, essentially. But it was so egregious, I was sort of shocked that I think I did a, a Dr. Seuss-like poem, like, you may not do this, I, whatever I did. Um, I just was sort of uh, flummoxed why the FTC continually, um, you know, took a dive on, on these companies as they were getting big. And I think one of them was that we can't regulate this industry. We can't do anything about it because we need it to grow. We need it to be the biggest. We are the biggest. We need to create these big companies, which has resulted in, you know, it's sort of like giving kids sugar all the time. You've got very twitchy children and who are very unhealthy. Now, if that's a mommy thing, okay, so be it. But so when you're talking about that idea, there was under enforcement for sure. I think that's, or no, none. I think not under, but very little. Um, I can't think of an FTC uh, action against a tech company. I, I mean, maybe I'm being like that was of any significance. Well, I think it's hard to think of mergers that were mm-hmm. blocked, right? We all come to mind the mergers that were approved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there have been various consumer protection orders that went into place, like the original Facebook order. Mm-hmm. But the concern is, did those actually change things? Right. right? So, and what do we do to actually make sure companies change their behavior? So let's start with that consent decree that happened 2011. 2011. I covered that. Um, I didn't think they'd follow it. I don't, most people didn't think they'd follow it, and they thought they got off. I think at the time they thought they got off. So talk about that consent decree, just so you can explain for people who don't follow every ter- twist and Minutia turn of Facebook. Of FTC law. <laughs> uh, so in 2011, and maybe it was early 2012 when it went into effect, the FTC um, had investigated Facebook for sharing its users' information beyond the permissions mm-hmm. that the users had given. I think it was related to Beacon, but go ahead. Yeah, and I don't remember that word in particular, but that was the general idea, sharing information that they told users they would keep private. And to settle those that investigation and those allegations, Facebook entered into an agreement called a consent decree or a, cons- a consent order um, with the FTC under which it promised, we will not do this again, and we will specifically not misrepresent how consumers' data is being used. Time passes. Time passes. And And just so people know, when they do these decrees, it's sort of a push-pull of what Facebook thinks it could get out of, what the FTC can actually enforce, because you have to go to court with them. That's a really good point, Kara. So the FTC doesn't have the authority to issue fines or issue orders on its own. Mm -hmm. We can either negotiate a settlement with a company that we think resolves whatever legal concern we have found, or we can sue them. And if you can find a settlement that actually resolves the problem, that is very efficient Mm -hmm. because you don't spend the money suing. You can use that money for other enforcement actions, and you put into place certainty for consumers and for the company earlier. Right. And if you're changing their behavior in a a meaningful way— You'd rather do that sooner right. than down right. the road Either after litigation. Either by fines. There's lots of ways you can do it. In this case, there was not a fine. There Was was there a small fine? There no. Was, no, there was because no. Because the other important thing about the FTC, and it, we don't have the authority to issue regulations for mm-hmm. at, under the same way other agencies do um, under the Administrative Procedures Act on the consumer protection side. We don't have the authority to issue fines for the most part in first instance violations. Mm-hmm. And we can't just tell a company, you violated the law, here's the penalty. Right. So we have to do this negotiation and think about what to do. And then the deterrent effect is supposed to be that once you're under order, if you violate that order, you're subject to a penalty of up to $40,000 per day per violation. Mm-hmm. Now, again, if the agency finds the company has violated an order, mm-hmm. we can't just say, we fine you a quazillion right. dollars. We have to either— A quazillion? Ne- qu- well, if you multiply— <laughs> I wish you had fined Facebook a quazillion. We'll it, get to that. If you multiply 40,000 times— all the users times all the days. I don't know. I'm, I don't know exactly how many quazillion is, but it that would be a quazillion. It's a lot. So, yeah. but we we can't do that. We can't just say we issue this fine. Unlike our colleagues in Europe, we have to in the first instance either negotiate a settlement mm-hmm. or take the company to court. Right. And so, um, in the case of Facebook, we did an investigation into this is by your staff. Like so, by people the staff. understand the yes. staff does an investigation, then put gives findings up to. 
to, to the to the commissioners. That's right. When when the staff either gets information from complaints or reads information in newspapers or gets information from the company itself about potential violations, it does an investigation to determine whether the order has been violated. And then presents to the commission its findings of whether the order has been violated and what its recommendation is for how to proceed. So in this case at Facebook, the staff investigated a whole bunch of different allegations Mm -hmm. and generally found that Facebook had misrepresented whether users' data would be shared with third parties, third-party apps Mm -hmm. that operated on the Facebook site. Right. That was about then. No, that was in the second order. Second order. So what spurs an investigation? I'm sorry to be so technical. In the next part, we'll talk about where we're going. What spurs an investigation? Complaints? Anything can spur an investigation. Any evidence that the order has been violated. Sometimes it's a news report. I think frequently Frequently. it is a news report, right? Right. We read about journalists are very good at their jobs. Mm -hmm. We appreciate the free press and the work Mm -hmm. that it does. And it often brings to light things that we otherwise wouldn't know. Sometimes it brings to light things we already do know, Mm -hmm. either because someone has come to us with a complaint. A company. A company, a customer, state attorneys general sometimes know things and share information with Mm -hmm. us, or uh, because the company itself is required, a company that's under order is required to provide us information, and sometimes they come to us in the first instance and says, this problem has come up. That With data breaches, sometimes that happens a lot. The company right. will come to us first before right. it's publicly reported. But right, right. All right, so Facebook had, was under this consent degree and proceeded not to follow it as it as it was was found out. This is just Facebook. Um, uh, it started off with Cambridge Analytica, correct? That's how, the, that's how the news sort of broke, that Cambridge right. Analytica had harvested all of this Facebook data. And the investigation had two sides, one into Cambridge Analytica and mm-hmm. whether it violated the law, which we also found that it did, mm-hmm. and the second into Facebook and whether it had violated its order, which we to found that it did. To protect people, consumers. To not misrepresent. To not misrepresent. And then you you levied, uh, so they, you found them guilty of that or whatever, not guilty, what's the word? Violated. Uh, liable. Liable for that. And then levied a fine that you agreed on with Facebook, like you negotiated a fine. So I will, you can use the term you loosely <laughs> here. Not you, because, because you did not agree Because I did it. not agree. Okay. Um, the commission identified a violation or a <laughs> series of violations <laughs> and negotiated with the company um, a monetary fine, so that's for the order violation, mm-hmm. plus a new order that imposed restrictions on how Facebook could collect and use consumer data. Right. And among the things contemplated was direct responsibility by Mark Zuckerberg, all kinds of things which did not come to pass. Uh you yeah. can. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can talk about, that. yeah, I can talk about what is in right. the order and what right. is in my dissent, right. which in the talks report, about yes. all of this. Okay. So um, in the order is? In the order is requirements that Facebook not um, lie about how it's mm-hmm. using data and some much more detailed requirements about how it audits privacy practices and data policies and changes in data use, mm-hmm. requirements of reports of those audits, and a requirement, uh, their changes to the board mm-hmm. and how uh, that it would have an independent privacy committee. Mm-hmm. And then, sure. Yeah, so I didn't particularly... Yeah. We we'll can talk about that. that. Okay. Uh, and then also a requirement that its CEO, Mr. Zuckerberg certify that he's read the privacy audits and that the company, he's not aware that the company is not in compliance right. with the order. Right, right. Uh, which is a big old hole in the highway. <laughs> yeah, know. although yeah. here's what I will say. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley put executives on the record to yes. certify the validity of accounting, mm-hmm. and that kind of executive-level accountability, I do think, that is the area of the order that I thought was the biggest departure from the status quo mm-hmm. and the potential for change. How it's drafted matters. How it plays out matters. Right. Whether you can do anything about enforcement right. is Do you everything. have to actually—is he actually certifying that there are no privacy problems or just that he's not aware of any lack of privacy problems? Oh, prod- read you know, it. Yeah, I so those are the memo. Right. So those are—those details really matter. But right. the idea of executive accountability there, I do think, has some potential. You're responsible for it. Yeah, that he exactly. is responsible for his company, which, of course, should go without saying. But that's another—that's my thing because I'm a, a nanny. So the fine was $5 billion. And as you know, I've written column after column saying it should have been—put a zero on it. Put two zeros on it. Make it count. Talk about your objections to what you all settled in on. Yeah. So, you know, the order has two sides, the money and the injunctive relief. Mm -hmm. They're both important. The money, to me, 
only matters if the money is enough to materially change the company's behavior. Well, actually, both sides only mm-hmm. matter if they change right. it. So sure. my view is, in any case, what we need to be doing is thinking about deterrence. How are we going to keep this company from violating the law and again? Others. And how are we going to send the message to other companies not to like violate that the hurt. law? Like, yeah, that hurt. Yeah, don't do that. That's right. not worth it. Right. If the money is not something that the company takes seriously— the absolute dollar figure doesn't matter, and it certainly mm-hmm. doesn't matter how it compares to prior fines for yes, prior I know. companies. Groundbreaking. I refuse to put that word in any of my. I I think that that's that's an irrelevant factor for deterrence. It's also irrelevant under the statute, which mm-hmm. requires us to consider factors like the culpability of the company and, you know, the vindicating the authority of the agency. It certainly doesn't require us to consider what prior companies paid in fines. I'm not sure. What dollar amount would have been enough on its own for fi- to change Facebook's mm-hmm. behavior mm-hmm. to have that deterrence amount? Because they have so much money. Right. It's very difficult to come up with a dollar number that's really going to matter for a company that in some ways feels like it can print its own dollars. 50 would have hurt. Well, and but then again, you go back to a settlement is something they have to agree to. Right, right? that's right. And yes, so yes, you couldn't I, get them to There's a skepticism that they're right. ever going to agree to something that mm-hmm. is really going to We don't hurt. have to because we'll win in court. That's their— like, yeah, Well, that's their— We can pay for $45 billion worth of lawyers. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of lawyers. Yeah, that's— And you and, cannot afford $45 billion worth of lawyers. No, but I do think the agency has an obligation, if we have a settlement that we don't think is going to solve the problem, mm-hmm. to go to court and fight for the right outcome. Right, which is what Because we're you, fighting on behalf would. of the American people. Right. We have to seek justice even if we're not guaranteed to achieve it. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. We're still talking to uh, FTC Commissioner Rebecca Kelly Slaughter about Facebook. We're going to talk about a wide range of things. When we get back, we're going to talk about what the other side who voted for it uh, thought. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're here with FTC Commissioner Rebecca Kelly Slaughter. We've been talking about the Facebook settlement, which was very controversial. A lot of people thought it wasn't enough, including me and you. Um, and you had objected to this. And you explained very briefly your, your objections was the, the money. The money wasn't enough. And then the conduct side, I think, really matters because mm-hmm. I actually could have lived with less money if I thought we were imposing terms and conditions that mm-hmm. materially changed the company's incentives mm-hmm. to abuse people's data or their privacy. And you suggested? So I thought uh, some of the things that we could do would be to limit, actually, not just um, what the order does now is require Facebook to um, sort of supervise and give mm-hmm. permission for when third parties can access data. Mm-hmm. I thought we should actually limit when third parties can actually access mm-hmm. data. And on top of that, I thought there should be affirmative limitations on how Facebook itself can collect and use data across its properties and across the broader In the internet. absence of a privacy bill. In, in the, the absence of, of a, national of a privacy. federal privacy legislation, I thought right. that affirmative requirement on Facebook would make a real difference. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I thought we needed to pay more attention to the role of individual executives. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we had enough evidence to name at least Mr. Zuckerberg in a lawsuit, but I didn't think the investigation... I certainly didn't think the investigation gave us enough information about what he did or didn't do. And the staff has said publicly that they didn't interview him um, because they decided the fine was worth it. Um, What the settlement includes that I really objected to was a release of liability for the company and its executives for any other order violation and some uh, general law violations prior to the date of the new order. Right. 
So they got off of everything they could have done if there was email releasing, et cetera. So for me, it's one thing to say we're not going to hold you personally liable. It's a whole other thing to say, and we never will be able to. We will excuse you from that liability. So right now in the investigation, you're doing the state attorney. Well, the state attorney generals haven't decided, haven't agreed to that. No, so, that was just an FTC so the, agreement. The same thing with the House has not agreed to it because they're pulling in all kinds. To me— the trove of information you're going to get is from the emails of the past 10 years. You're going to get great stuff in there because I know how sloppy Internet people are about their emails. Um, and you saw what happened at MIT and other places. People And to be fair, the FTC looked at a lot of emails mm-hmm. from Facebook. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that we didn't right. do a thorough investigation. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about executive-level accountability. Right. And to be fair, also, executive-level accountability to me is not about vengeance mm-hmm. or being vindictive. But it's because a culture of compliance can only start from the top of a company. Absolutely. 100%. And if executives feel like they have responsibility, personal responsibility not, and personal liability right. for the privacy decisions that their company makes, they're going to make they're better decisions. Make sure. They're not going to be sloppy about yeah. it, certainly. Or they're not going to let their employees be sloppy about it. Okay, so you disagreed. Now, the the other commissioners, it was a two to three. It was three to two. The three Republicans this is voted what it, in It's like the Supreme it. Court over there, right, essentially. But one of the things is to try to convince one of them to come over and things like that. But in general, they felt this was the right way to go. What they said publicly is they thought that $5 billion and the terms we could get Facebook to agree to were much more than we were guaranteed to get in court with more certainty. Right. And therefore, it was worth it and a good choice for consumers to take it now. Right, which you can argue. You can it's make not that. an irrational perspective, right. and it's not one that excuses Facebook of any liability. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I don't think it's a fair criticism of them to say that they didn't think Facebook did anything wrong or should let them get away. They were thinking about using agency resources and certainty for consumers. I don't agree with the outcome mm-hmm. at all. But I don't think it came from a bad right. The, uh, place. They're more deregulated. Like, don't let's not let's not step all over this very successful business. Too, there's a mentality. Well, there's that. there's also some of that. Right. And, and I think in this particular case, though, it really was a certainty. But to me, that calculation about the value of going to court, I think about it differently because, first of all, I think the transparency of public litigation Agreed. has huge value. It has huge value both in terms of what it means for the company, what it means for the public in terms of understanding the company. I love discovery. Yeah. I think it's great. And you Mm -hmm. see that in some of the state AG lawsuits. Right. That alone has value for the public. Mm -hmm. And if you reach a finding of liability at the end of litigation, that also has a value on which it's difficult to put a particular number, Mm -hmm. but I think is meaningful for consumers. Right. Because then their skin is in the game, so to speak. And if you litigate the whole Mm -hmm. thing and lose, Mm -hmm. that's a really powerful argument to turn around to Congress and the American public and say, we have tried our hardest, mm-hmm. and our hands now are do tied something. by the law right now. Right. Now do something about it, which is, I think, a lot of people are pushing off the responsibility onto agencies that have no, none of the resources necessary. That's something Amy Correct. Klobuchar and I talked about, the ideas of how to fund the FTC better and get more money by, uh, I think hers was taxing some political ads or something. Yeah, she has, she she has, has some bunch. really creative ideas about yeah. it, and that's important. I mean, these things are not mutually exclusive. We can both push to do more and better with the resources and authority we have now and to try as hard as we can and say— our resources and authority are not great. No, they, you're outmatched. We need to have you're 100% more. outmatched no matter what. Even if you don't like government, it's like a ridiculous yes. matching situation. And, and I don't think it's accidental. Right. right? No, no, not at all. Um, so I, I don't think people understood how powerful these companies would get. I think government is super slow moving. I mean, to be fair, it's really to, to not understand their power is, is taking them until now to figure out. So you have this situation. So fast forward to, I'm going to get off Facebook in a minute, but right now you're all investigating them still. So it doesn't end for yes. what they're doing now. And this one, there's a limited amount I can talk about publicly. Right. I right. wish there was more. I would like us to be more transparent I about would, what we're doing. You know I would like you I know. to we're tell on the same me. Page I want to everything about your negotiation. Even if I couldn't say everything about the no- negotiation, I do think it's valuable for the public to know mm-hmm. when the government is investigating things. Europe does it. Yeah. The sky doesn't fall. Right. So uh, I think that that would be good. But I can say, because Facebook has said publicly mm-hmm. that there is an antitrust investigation into mm-hmm. Facebook now, that's different from the privacy and order yes. violation, Right, but it is an ongoing investigation. Right, by the FTC. Yeah, and to be fair, consistent with the terms of the consumer protection order, there is going to be continuous monitoring and reporting to the agency of what the company is doing with right. privacy and data security. So 
that ongoing monitoring, in a way, is a, like a continuous investigation. And as been reported today, for example, you're all going, you would go to the north. People were like, can you believe they went to Snapchat? I'm like, that's the first stop on my parade if I was if I was looking into FTC and antitrust. Snapchat had, caught, had been creating a file, uh, as Yelp did around Google, um, about what they considered violations, and they called it the Voldemort file, uh, essentially ca- calling Facebook Voldemort, um, in terms of what they considered violations, things that, that were antitrust behavior uh, and and the ability of Facebook, which I think people can see right in plain sight, copying all their things, having enormous market power, et cetera, et cetera. And so this leads to, you also have the Justice Department looking into not Facebook, but Google. And is that correct? You all split things up? So uh, that one I can't particularly comment on. As a general matter, the agencies try to divide investigations so that we are not duplicating Right. Resources, because we want to be efficient with our limited government mm-hmm. dollars. But you can look into any company, right? You can't. You yes. Could, yeah. uh, we have some statutory restrictions. Uh, we can't do common carriers like mm-hmm. telecoms. Right. That's um, the FCC. Yeah. Or DOJ does DOJ. that antitrust stuff. Right. We don't do banks. That's right. Megan Delrim did at Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't do insurance companies. Right. They all exactly have their the own agencies. So, yeah. So we have a little bit of a divided thing. But for the most part... Economy-wide. Economy-wide. But it's been reported that you're all looking—you're doing the FTC, and then the natural thing is to go to competitors and then see where it goes, the investigations go. Anytime you want to build an antitrust investigation, tech, not tech, uh, you need facts Mm -hmm. and information. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, you have to assume you're going to have to prove your case in a court of law. You're going to need witnesses. You're going to need documents. That's going to come from the company itself. It's also going to come from competitors. It's going to come from customers. If you don't have anyone complaining— about the behavior of a company, even a dominant company, it's going to be challenging to make a case Mm -hmm. about the behavior of the dominant company. Mm -hmm. So in any case, the agency would not be doing its job if it were not actively seeking out information from witnesses to help figure out what is actually going on on the ground and where are there any potential law violations. And then it's in the backdrop of the House looking into it. The House has no recourse. They can just look into it. But they uh, have public transparency, public which transparency. is pretty compelling. Right. And testimony. Mark was here this week visiting everybody, seeming to trying to make friends. He's trying to make friends among Internet companies now, um, trying to sort of head off the Gates problem where everybody just couldn't stand Microsoft way back when. The Microsoft trial, by the way, is an example that hangs out in my head of because the value of a public trial right. and the transparency that comes Very with pointful. litigation. Right. This was a major trial that was so fun to cover. It was so inter- not for Microsoft necessarily, but it was fascinating, including the depositions. Yeah, that's for exactly example, what the I mean. The video of depositions have a decades-long legacy in terms of what they mean for executive responsibility right. and how companies behave. And one could argue Microsoft's a better company for it today. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're now lovely. <laughs> I, was, I was with Brad Smith, and I was like, you're lovely now. I can't even believe I hang out with you people. <laughs> but still, I hope for some day to, you know, be at Mark's house for uh, the, the holidays and everything else. We'll see. So you're, you're looking into this and doing this. How long do these things take? Do they take—are you two all behind on where tech is going? Because they're moved on to Libra. They've moved on to other things. And I want to get to you two after that. Yeah, so yes, we're too far behind. I yeah. mean, it takes too long to start investigations. They're doing it takes dating too long and to currency. It takes right. too long to do investigations. And in antitrust, companies have a real incentive to comply with merger investigations because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. want to close their merger. They sure. want to give you the information right. so they can move on yes. and have their deal. Conduct investigations, there isn't the same incentive to comply, mm-hmm. right? Because the more information you give an agency, that could lead to finding a violation. Right. There's nothing good for the company on the other end of that. So right. dragging it out is in the company's interest. Sure. So they may not be willing to provide information voluntarily. I'm just speaking generally. Yeah, so you have to go to you court. You have to use compulsory process. Then you have to fight about what they're actually going to turn over. And mm-hmm. Maybe you have to go to court to enforce your subpoenas. And Slow rolling you is a good tactic here. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, strategically, it is mm-hmm. the smart thing to do. So right. uh, one can anticipate that these things do not wrap up overnight. I mean, mm-hmm. I will say that I think that the FTC is... It really staffed up its tech task force with mm-hmm. real lawyers. Mm-hmm. It took them off of other enforcement work to put mm-hmm. them on technology work, and mm-hmm. that's important. And I think the agency is committed to devoting resources to make sure those investigations get done well. Right. I don't. That doesn't give me any guarantee about the outcome of it, but right. 
the fact that you're process. looking at tech and big tech essentially. So besides then, there's there's obviously Apple and its App Store. There's Google and YouTube. Uh, there's Google itself with search. Google owns YouTube. People don't know. Also, Facebook owns Instagram and WhatsApp. And, WhatsApp. and Apple just is Apple. It <laughs> doesn't own that much stuff. Getting off of Facebook, let's talk a little bit about YouTube and your discussion about explain the situation there. Yeah, so the short version of that is um, there is one law. There is one, when you were saying there are no laws and regulations mm-hmm. about tech, there is one. Children. There's COPPA, the Children's mm-hmm. Online Children. Privacy Protection yeah. Act, which was right. passed 20 years ago. I, I wrote about it for the Washington Post. But yeah, yeah, and it was really groundbreaking because it mm-hmm. actually imposed affirmative requirements on companies with respect to how children's data is handled. Right. The FTC investigated YouTube mm-hmm. for all of the children's content that is on there and that is served with behavioral ads. And mm-hmm. behavioral ads are served by using a per- persistent device identifier. Right. They'd love involves- to say the difference between behavior- contextual ads is if you search for a car, and you get, you get a car, car ad. ad. Most Behav- people think we should go back to contextual ads and stop with this behavioral nonsense. So I will tell you that I have had, um, I hear a lot, well, behavioral ads help support higher quality content. I have seen no, no. evidence for that I had a whatsoever. great interview with DuckDuckGo CEO. You can do contextual ads. They can make just as much money. Yeah. If Now, the question is, if everybody is doing contextual ads, yes. That's, then yes, I think you have that. If some people voluntarily choose contextual ads, they may be at a competitive disadvantage because right. of the revenue from behavioral ads. <laughs> behavioral ads track your behavior across the internet, across devices, across websites, to target information specifically to you. So it's why I get ads for color block swimsuits mm-hmm. and machine washable flats <laughs> all the time. And I don't think my husband does. I get gay shirts. Maybe, what does that tell you, Sarah? I, I never buy a gay thing in my life, but I get I gay shirts. I have never bought a color block swimsuit. <laughs> Months on the New York Times app was gay shirts. But, but rainbow l- shirts. But listen, sometimes cruises. Listen, I like those washable flats. I do. Okay. okay. But there is a question about whether that benefit mm-hmm. is worth the cost of targeting right. ads and targeting content to particular people. Right. Particularly because that targeting right. can be very manipulative. Right. And when you're thinking about children, that manipulation is really meaningful. Mm-hmm. So anyway, long way of explaining. The FTC investigated YouTube for marketing its platform to creators for as a place for children, mm-hmm. the new Saturday morning cartoons, mm-hmm. and collecting persistent device ident- identifiers mm-hmm. to track associated with children's content. Right. And we allege that that is a violation of COPPA. The agency negotiated a settlement with mm-hmm. YouTube mm-hmm. for $170 million, which was the largest COPPA fine by factors of Couch know, change, 20, which but, I like to call couch change. But again, it's the same thing that we discussed in Facebook. I don't care it's what worse. the previous. I don't yeah. care what the previous fine is. I right. care what the fine is for this particular company and what it means for them. Mm-hmm. And then it negotiated an order where YouTube is going to be is now required to have all of its content creators designate themselves whether the content is child directed or not. And if it's child directed, it cannot be served with behavioral ads. It can still have advertising. Mm-hmm. It can still have contextual advertising, mm-hmm. but not behavioral advertising. Right. That's okay as far as it goes. That's good as far mm-hmm. as it goes. But my concern was there's no requirement on YouTube to make sure that those designations are correct. That's right. And in so fact, people could decide not to designate them to children's ads when they are indeed children. Correct. And in fact, I think there's an children's incentive. Sites. There's an incentive to turn a blind eye to it because YouTube gets a cut of the advertising revenue, and it makes more if it's behavioral ads. So if I am a channel owner who has a My Little Pony videos, Mm -hmm. and I tell YouTube, this isn't children's content, it's just for bronies. Mm -hmm. I know, because I'm the channel owner. Mm -hmm. YouTube can say, listen, the channel owner says it's not children's content, so it's not children's content. Washing their hands of it. And I was really concerned. So I wanted to see some sort of requirement that YouTube police the designations and make sure that they're correct. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was not in the order. And so I so was concerned. So why was that not in the order? Besides, they have very good lawyers. Yeah, I mean, Please I give think, me an answer besides that. Well, I actually think the argument, I don't have, you know what, I don't have a good argument. I think you'd have to ask the majority mm-hmm. why it wasn't in the order. What was YouTube's argument? Um, they don't want to police anything. I, in fact, think they said when they put out a release mm-hmm. With the settlement that they were going to be doing policing and yeah. creating an algorithm, right. but it wasn't required by right. the order. It's just right. voluntary. Right. Uh, and in fact, I saw some reporting that suggested it was part of the order, and I was and I said to the reporters, "That's not. Mm-hmm. That's they not. They don't correct. have to do it. Right. Yeah, they're choosing to. Fine, but they're not. There's no legal backstop if mm-hmm. they don't do it. I don't know. I mean, a cynic would say 
that, again, if you want to put on your very cynical glasses, it's better for them not to have that requirement. Right, of course. Right? They make no. more money on the behavioral advertising. Right. They have an incentive not to move right, not content to off it. of it. Right. They, they do say, and I, again, I've heard this talking point a lot, that behavioral advertising supports higher quality content. I've spent some time on YouTube because mm-hmm. I have small children. I'm not particularly impressed with the quality of the content no. that is child-directed in the first right. instance. So right. the premise of that argument— I think they should have a whole other YouTube. Well, like, they, that's the issue around competition. If it was not attached to Google, maybe they would try to think hard about new businesses. Why don't we be the safe place to be? Well, and more importantly, if somebody else wanted to come out and right. be the safe place to be for kids, it's very difficult to compete no, in the universe right and now. And that so. leads to antitrust issues, um, which is why they're being looked at because there's no—you know, my everyone's sort of debating this, but I'm like, there's not been a new social network. There's not been a new search service. There's not been a new video service. There's not been a new ad thing in the world of Facebook and Google. Leaving aside Apple and its app store, which I think is regulatory fixing, like that's sort of just— they have to, some some action has to be done in terms of all these platforms and their power over people, um, or, or power over companies and users both. But there's no competition happening. There's no innovation happening. Yeah, I mean, what's really hard to do is to imagine the but for universe of mm-hmm. innovation. Right? Yeah, because the companies will say, well, look, we have this new product and this new service and whatever, but. That doesn't tell you what we would have absent right. large market share by individual companies. And so I would like to see more innovation. I would like to see more opportunities for companies to be able to compete and break through and build up their brand based on quality. How, what, how do you react to your critics to say the government can't make innovation? I think government can make it so innovation will thrive. Yeah, I was about to say, we can't make innovation, but we can make room for innovation. Mm-hmm. That's what the law, in fact, requires us to do. And curbing innovation is an antitrust harm. Mm-hmm. People, there's some controversy right now about whether antitrust is too price-focused. Right. And I think some antitrust Whether it's consumer thinkers, harm or not. Right. Yeah, Le- Lena too, and uh, Megan Delbert, lots of people yeah, on and, all sides. And I think there is some... There are some people who are too price-focused. I don't think the law is price-focused. We also look at harms to quality, harms to innovation, Mm -hmm. and harms uh, on the other side of the equation, monopsony harms to suppliers and to workers, which Mm -hmm. is really important, too. So I think there's room for that in the law. That said, sometimes there are bad legal decisions that Mm -hmm. make these cases harder to bring. Mm -hmm. And we have to think about that. And what do we do? But I'd rather us bring the case and be trying to fight for the right outcome and then deal with the— the case law as it devolves. All right. When we get back, I want to talk about harms to society, harms to democracy, harms that are harder to push, and where it's going uh, from D.C. versus big tech, not just D.C., but state attorneys generals, uh, the Congress, uh, consumers, which who seem to be slower to complain about this. When we get back, we're here with FDC Commissioner Rebecca Kelly Slaughter. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back after this. We're here with FTC Commissioner Rebecca Kelly Slaughter. She is the Dem—do you call her the Democratic Commissioner? One of two Democratic Commissioners. One of Dem- Commissioners. Commissioners. Um, you'd like to be one of three, I assume. Mm-hmm. I assume. That would be better. Winning—being in the majority is more fun. But one of the things you want is cooperation among you all, right? Because one of your jobs is figuring out a compromise because we don't want any side to have any more power than the other. Yeah. And Whether we're Democrats or Republicans. Well, Republicans want— there is incentive to cooperate yeah. and to get things done. And sometimes I, w- I, I have we've talked about two cases where I've said you would disagree. The things on the table are not enough to get me to yes. Mm-hmm. But there are other situations where I will say, listen, if you can make this change, I will come on board. Or mm-hmm. I like what you've negotiated. Most of our decisions are still five zero, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. Right. Give um, me a tech one that's been five zero. Uh, Uber. Mm-hmm. Talk about that one. Uh, we had a settlement with Uber. So Uber had um, a data breach in mm-hmm. 2014. Mm-hmm. And then another one in 2016 while the first one was being investigated. Right. So not long after we, the new commission, started, uh, the commission finalized a consent order with Uber that um, imposed some requirements for data security mm-hmm. on it that had been sorely lacking. And I just finished Not reading. existent is the word you're looking for, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah, well, I just finished reading Super Pumped oh, like, right. literally Mike this morning. Isaac. So yeah. I, this is he all very— He worked for me. He, he started his career That with book me. was great. He is. He's a it wonderful reporter, Mike Isaac. Very yeah. fresh in my head. Right. Um, anyway, so the FTC uh, finalized a consent order with Uber that imposed on them some really meaningful—a meaningful data security program. And mm-hmm. they're now under order so that if they screw up again, we can— 
we can't issue a fine, but mm-hmm. we can negotiate a fine or right. sue them for a fine. Right, right. We have a very different administration at Uber, too, at the same yes. time. Yes, which is and all of this, right, happened in, in the middle of the administration, the leadership turnover at Uber. Yeah. Right, exactly. So Uber, you were on together. What so else? all of us were there together. Um, the TikTok, the mm-hmm. last yes. uh, COPPA that settlement, uh, that was TikTok. The Which is a app. Chinese company. Chinese. Yes. So we investigated— they bought a, co- a U.S. company called Musical.ly, mm-hmm. um, and it does—you can, like, make funny dance videos, yes, karaoke okay. videos, and they were collecting a lot of children's information in violation of COPPA. Right. So uh, when that settlement came down, it was, at the time, the largest COPPA penalty, which was $5.7 million. And every time anybody said the largest COPPA penalty of $5.7 million, <laughs> I was like, maybe we shouldn't say that it's the largest one. Because <laughs> it's that's not, just not That's not—I mean— it's a ton of money to me, yes, personally. me too. But not a lot to yes. most companies. Not a lot to most companies. Right? Um, anyways, that was another unanimous decision. So you can dis- decide. Yeah. So talk about the broader idea of being the government suddenly turning anti-tech, especially Democrats. Now, look. Your old boss is pretty was pretty favorable towards Facebook, uh, Chuck Schumer, um, and uh, and Democrats in general were sort of Barack Obama. Everyone was sort of tech is great, tech, and then got lots of money from them. Um, and it was the Republicans who were less so, although not at all, not much, not in general. Um, it's it seems first of all, both sides are now pretty much on the rampage against him for various reasons. you got Josh Hawley doing his Josh Hawley dance, whatever, some of which is quite good and some of which is like, what is he doing? Like, Elaine, stop dancing kind of thing. <laughs> um, but some of it is on point, and so it's hard to talk with him because it's or understand it because some of it is quite on point. And then you've got Senator Warner, who I'm talking to this week, a whole bunch of stuff that he's working on. Um, you got Senator Klobuchar. I'm trying to think Michael Bennett is involved. There's all kinds of congressmen and, and states' attorney generals. Do you think government is now against big tech? Because you and you can't also put them all in one basket, right? Yeah, I think it's really hard to do. Uh, listen, we're talking about companies that made popular products that people liked and continue to like to use, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that were free to consumers, right? So, it it is not surprising to me that these products enter the market and people Love are them. excited about yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, Making popular products that people like to use is a good thing. We want companies to be doing that. Yes, it is sugar, but it needs, like cookies, Mm -hmm. needs to be done responsibly. And sometimes information about the um, harms of sugar Mm -hmm. or the, like, long-term effects of it take a little while to come to light. Mm -hmm. And I think where we are now is maybe a little bit sugar hangover, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing some of those effects with clearer eyes than we could in, in the first instance as companies are growing as the use of data is changing, as we're learning more about how companies are tracking consumers across properties uh, and using that information, as we're learning more about the squeeze on the advertising markets, all of those things, I think it's good for people to evolve in their perspective as new right. facts come to light. This is right. what we want from our government. Right. Right. Um, right. I don't think anyone should be vindictive about it. We shouldn't be saying, well, I like this company so we shouldn't enforce the law against them. Or I don't like this company, so we should enforce the law against them. Mm-hmm. We should say, what are the actual facts? What's happening to markets, mm-hmm. to consumers, to innovation, and where there are problems? Whoever is perpetrating them, we right. should go after. But an overall, you know, legislative agenda would be nice, like a, a, a one that is that that deals with all of them. Because I think what you tend to have is two things. When you have consumers who are not— I would say they're not unduly concerned, and neither is Wall Street. These stocks have never been at higher. Twitter's a high. Facebook's a high. Consumers don't seem to be that concerned. Or they're some. They're vaguely concerned. I think they're. I always say you're a cheap date then, because they won. They have won everything from you, and you get a free map, or well, you get a. Free and also, I'm not sure it's entirely fair to put that in consumers, because what do we? What do we, like? What do I know exactly? Mm-hmm. And I'm about as well informed as you can get mm-hmm. about this. I don't know everything that co- companies are doing with my right. data, what they're collecting, what right. they know about me. There's. We all click through all of those. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Contracts all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't really have a choice but to click through them. Right. We don't actually know what's happening. So there right. are a lot of problems that led to this situation. And right now, all the burden is on consumers to say, wait, mm-hmm. this is a problem. And and I think what you were pointing at, and I agree with, is it would be nice to have a regulatory and legislative framework that shifts some of that responsibility onto the companies themselves. Mm-hmm. 
which right. they don't want to have. They don't. They seem to almost want to beg for legislation, although it's legislation that's to their liking. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it. I'm not naive. the legislative uh, dynamic is complicated. Whether so, somebody wants legislation and whether legislation so where, is good. Where do you look at the landscape overall? Because there's so many different. There's like 40 investigations happening. Something, and obviously the key ones will be the, the Justice Department and you, the FTC. And I don't think you should discount the state's attorneys general. The state's attorneys, absolutely. Of course, they'll get to a settlement. Yeah, I think that me. I think state attorneys general are doing really powerful cigarettes, and important they did, work. Yeah, they did exactly. amazing work on cigarettes, for yeah, example. Exactly. So, so where where does it come down? This idea of what te- what role tech should have in society should it be more because right? you've got not just issues of breaches or data abuse or using your data for that things. You have hate speech. You have all kinds of stuff, which is not something you all. No, but it's something I'm really concerned about. So mm-hmm. I talked recently. I was at Silicon Flatirons mm-hmm. in Colorado. Mm-hmm. and What's that? I mean, uh, it's the um, Colorado University at Boulder's Tech Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very cool. They mm-hmm. do really interesting, really thoughtful work mm-hmm. on privacy and data. And they have a lot of great people working there. And they had a conference called The Near Future of U.S. Privacy. Mm-hmm. And I spoke there. And one of the first things I said was, I think when we talk about privacy, we're framing too narrow a concept. We have to think about data abuses more broadly. Mm-hmm. You can't really separate privacy harms, which are the harms when data is collected about you right, and, and you used. maybe don't want to share, from the harms that come from data being targeted, that data being used to target information to you or mm-hmm. make decisions for ah. you. So like algorithmic bias, oh. manipulative content. Fake news. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I told a story about... Um, my son, who is seven mm-hmm. and really likes jigsaw puzzles, mm-hmm. but we don't have a lot of like analog jigsaw puzzles There's in the house. There's some great online jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, because the, great the five-year-old will be helpful with the puzzles, not helpful, and the mm-hmm. one-year-old will eat the pieces. So right. digital puzzles are a great they're solution great. for him. And, and they're they get awesome. more, And they can also get—I I just was using one—they uh, can get more and more complex and yeah. get 120 pieces, 200 Totally. Pieces, you can go up, you can go pieces. down, you can do pictures. Right. Of, you can take a picture of your sister and do that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's great. He wanted an app. I went and put one on. We have a device that the kids are allowed to use that only has, like, curated content Mm -hmm. on it. So I went to put in a puzzle app on his iPad, and there were two options, a free one and a paid one. And I'm a cheap government employee, so Mm -hmm. I put the free one on. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Yeah, well, I learned Mm because my husband came back a little while later and said, what did you put on that child's (laughs) iPad? (laughs) This is an FTC commissioner. Well done. Yeah, well, listen, I think it's important to own up to our mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And so I said— Anytime uh, you can text me, I'll go, no. Yeah, just don't do it. No. Well, this is what I learned. And I'll he say said, yes sometimes. He said, uh, I said, why? It's just a puzzle app. And he goes, it's sitting there playing these ads for him because it turns out that if you click on watching the ad, you get more coins to buy hints yes. in the puzzle. But, yes. That's and he said there were me. some ads for penny stocks. There was also an ad for a for-profit university that was decrying the perils of women in the workforce. <laughs> and like— <laughs> This is at my seven-year-old, right? And this is not our normal content. Yeah, suddenly you have a super conservative seven-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I was talking about this. I don't feel like you should go to work. Well, I was talking about this with uh, with someone else in this space who said his son is really into YouTube videos that focus on conspiracy theories and is now convinced that the moon landing was fake. Yes, yes, yes. For kids, this this is really damaging. It is. And like adults can filter out some of this, but there's been a lot of data recently about radicalization, particularly of white youth online. Mm -hmm. This is very, like, this isn't a funny. No. Like, I'm telling a funny anecdote, but it's not funny for society. And it's like like a free university. Right. No. No. It is because you're you're trading. Like I said, I, I use the joke cheap day very loosely, but you really are for what you're giving up. Uh, and in the trade, not just the financial trade, by the way, they're making way yeah. more money off of you than you're getting in value. Um, it's it's just you're overpaying for what you're getting. But then my next level concern is, okay, fine, I delete that app, put on the paid one. Not a problem for me. I'm cheap, but I'm not that cheap. Right. But not everybody has those resources. Right. And it cannot be the case that not just privacy, but being free get. of data abuses is just for the privileged. Right. And poor people have to be more subject to targeted, manipulative information. Mm-hmm. One of the it's things, like bad food. It's yeah. like you get the bad food, you get the cheap food, you get the... And it's material in ways that we don't always realize. I mean, one of the things that I talked about in my Facebook dissent a little bit was that, you know, Cambridge Analytica is in everybody's mind for what mm-hmm. it did in the 2016 election. They were involved in the 2014 elections, too. Mm-hmm. In the 2014... U- elections. Yeah, but the 2014 U.S. Senate elections that, show, mm-hmm. that caused the Senate to flip partisan control. Mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate that before our mm-hmm. investigation, even though it was in the public domain. 
there are material consequences to Mm -hmm. these things. And that's not a partisan comment for me. That's a we should not want our elections interfered with. We should not want people to be manipulated politically. We should not want children to be subject to this content. Some people think that's okay. So now, here you are in this Washington right now. We're right in the middle of this Ukrainian thing, which the Republicans, at least Trump, with the Republicans being silent, are saying it's okay to do that. It's okay to allow this, even though in this case, it's out in the open. It's not even, you know, I think, interestingly, I think Democrats don't want to know what to do when it's out in the open. So what if I did? It's sort of the so what if I did era. So here you are. How do you come, because we've got to have smart legislation by both sides of the aisle on this stuff. How do you get to that in this governing situation? You've got the president attacking tech companies indiscriminately and then having them all to the White House. It's a, it's the same behaviors, right? It's not, this is nothing fresh. But using Twitter and other platforms to do that at the same time as trying to strong-arm them into putting manufacturing units or whatever he wants, I'm not really clear, attacking Jeff Bezos, but really he's attacking the Washington Post and stuff like that. How do you then create with a bulk of people who are not crazy like this, to create legislations that's smart for the internet, not overreaching. How does that happen? So, not just legislation, but rulings. So I will tell you that in in my current capacity at the FTC, what I try really hard to do and what I think all of my colleagues do, and I will defend them on, on this too, is to tune out some of that noise, put our head down, look at the case, look at the facts, look at the law, and figure out what is the right thing to do and do that. And I think that's good. That's what we need to be doing. In terms of a legislative approach, on all things, and not just now, Mm -hmm. legislation is challenging. Mm -hmm. And I know that from the time I spent Mm -hmm. in the Hill. I will say that, you know, I know a lot of the staff who are working on privacy and tech legislation, Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of the members, and they are smart, and they have integrity, and they are very thoughtful about Mm -hmm. what to do. And I think they are particularly thoughtful about Mm future-proofing and making sure they're not— Yeah. It's a very good way of Writing it. in a 2019 law that is going to be not just irrelevant, but un- affirmatively unhelpful mm-hmm. in three, five years. Mm-hmm. The way I've been describing it, you know, the FTC is in connection or at around the same time as we announced the YouTube case, we announced that we're reviewing the COPPA rule. Mm-hmm. One of the few areas where we have some uh, more facile rulemaking authority is on COPPA. Yeah, and people can't agree. Yeah, and so we announced that we're doing that, and somebody said, well, you just did that seven years ago. Like, that's pretty recent. And I was like, no, tech years are like dog years. Mm -hmm. Seven years is like a lifetime. What was going on on YouTube seven years ago, we need to be—it makes sense that we're updating it. VR, AR, everything, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that we can think about it. I want us to think aggressively. I want us to really be listening— to all the voices, and especially the civic society advocates, the consumer advocates, not just companies. We mm-hmm. should listen to companies, and we should always consider the source of what we're hearing and right. what is in somebody's interest. Right. All right, finish up talking about two things. One is, do you imagine that there should be an Internet agency, a separate Internet, that it's in the FTCs? And, if, and then if not— what do you all need besides more money and lawyer? Obviously, that would, would do it, like more a, a stronger uh, charge, essentially. But should there—I mean, Nancy Pelosi brought this up. Um, I think a lot, of con- a lot of congressional people brought this up to me. Should there be an Internet agency? There's an SEC. There's stuff that handles banks and the stock market and all kinds of key industries. This is an industry that doesn't have that. Yeah, and most European countries at this point have a data protection agency. That's, right. It's not specific to Internet, but it is specific to right. data issues. But Here's it, what it, I will say. Mm-hmm. The fact that the FTC does both consumer protection and competition makes it to me a, not just a good but an important place mm-hmm. to house Internet. Because they're often related. They are related, and I worry that if we had a data agency, mm-hmm. like an Internet agency that did data, that you would lose some of the the competition lens that mm-hmm. I think is really important to apply to some of these questions mm-hmm. and make sure that that expertise is there. Now, part of why I think it's important to articulate a different view for how we handle some of these cases is to make the case to people that— I think the FTC is capable of doing this work, and mm-hmm. I think it can do it. I think it has some limitations in the law, but I think it can do it. It isn't a question of we need to throw out this agency and start from scratch, but mm-hmm. I think we need to have the will to be aggressive mm-hmm. and creative and thoughtful. And then in terms of what else we need, resources for sure, resources, resources. I think we really need to staff up on technologists mm-hmm. in particular to make sure we're understanding what we do. I also think that we could use better rulemaking authority Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we have this like uh, sort of 
I describe it as the cranky neighbor mm-hmm. of normal yeah, rulemaking. Yeah, you just run your mouth. <laughs> yeah, the, the magmoss rulemaking. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time. Yeah. We have to go through a lot of process. For the record, I actually think it's worth us doing a data protection rulemaking under magmoss now. Again, mm-hmm. trying, seeing mm-hmm. what we can do. But better, more facile rulemaking authority would be useful. The ability to issue fines for first instance violations, mm-hmm. or at least to seek them, would be really valuable. Mm-hmm. There's some bad case law out there about whether and how we can get money to help uh, provide redress to consumers. I would like that to be fixed. We also, right now, don't have the authority to go to court on our own to seek money. We have to get DOJ's permission. Right. That's not great. I would like us to not have that. So there are a lot of tweaks of the law right. that I think could really juice up the so you're agency sort of a semi agent. You have semi powers of agency. Yeah. I mean, I think our hands are tied in a lot of meaningful ways. We should still fight with that tied hand, but. Mm-hmm. Um, we should Not be honest creating about a whole those. new agency that would just say, let's just start from scratch. I just worry that doing that is high cost for limited benefit mm-hmm. uh, and risks losing some of the lens that we have, again, from the competition and consumer protection side mm-hmm. together. Right. That I think is That's really a fair important. Point. All right, finishing up, what would you like to see from these tech companies? Say something good about them and then say what they need to start thinking about. If you're you're talking to Silicon Valley right now. So hey, let's start with a positive thing. So again, I think these are love companies. Love AirPods for yeah, me. Go I ahead. do also love <laughs> AirPods. Very pleasantly surprised. And I think that there are companies that are trying to innovate on privacy issues and consumer protection issues. That's mm-hmm. important. I think these companies are making, like I said, products that people like that in many ways make our lives better and easier. Mm-hmm. I would like them to focus on how to maximize those benefits and make sure that they don't come at the cost of personal privacy or autonomy, um, and that they are really conscientious and forward-thinking about avoiding problems. Mm -hmm. And I actually think this is an across-the-industry, across-the-economy problem, the sort of short-termerism, bottom-line thinking, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that companies are really interested in the short-term problems that they have to deal with and making money for tomorrow and Mm -hmm. their immediate return and their immediate stock price. Sure. And returning to some long-term thinking about investment in the workforce and investment in the economy would be really valuable. And do you spend a lot of time with Silicon tech people? I'm, I'm just using Silicon Valley as, an, as a catch-all term, but it's a lot of them are there. So a lot less time now in this job than I have done in my previous job because I don't like to talk to companies that are under investigation mm-hmm. Which is outside of the scope of the investigation right. and outside of the staff, and I don't like to create... Um, impressions about who is or isn't under investigation. Mm -hmm. So I have a pretty open door and will meet with anyone who wants to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And many of these companies I have occasion to talk to in the course Mm -hmm. of investigations. But Mm -hmm. whereas in my previous job, I had a lot more continuous contact with lots of different companies. Should that be important to have relationships with them or not? I think, yeah. I mean, listen, being smart is important and being smart involves being informed. And being informed, I think, includes talking to the people who are actually doing the work and understanding... Mm -hmm at least their explanation for why they're making a decision that Mm -hmm. they're making. You know, you have to filter everything through the lens of who's speaking. But I think getting that information is valuable. And I've never said, you know, occasionally they have executives in town and they ask to come meet. And I always say yes, Mm because I think that those conversations are important. It doesn't Mm -hmm. um, change my enforcement outlook. And I also think it's good, I actually think it's good to be transparent in the other direction, to share my perspective and make clear that I have a pretty even-handed view of application of the law, and I don't right. tend to be right. impressed by. And there, there, I might have one more final one. Actually, yeah. their idea that they need you need to be careful about regulating because of China, because of China's principally, they don't really care about Russia or any other country. Listen, I'm concerned about China. I mm-hmm. think they're really material national security mm-hmm. issues. Sure. I also, in the Senate, in addition to handling tech and telecom and antitrust and consumer protection, mm-hmm. um, I did a fair amount of national security work. I mm-hmm. think there are real reasons to be concerned mm-hmm. about China. But I also think that there are some things, like I have a few pet peeves about excuses or mm-hmm. uh, what I think of as code words that mm-hmm. people say to excuse not doing something. They include because China, mm-hmm. because blockchain. Mm-hmm. Because AI yeah. and because 5G. And most of the time, people say those four things without any color about, like, what does that mean? Like, what right. specifically are we concerned about? Right, and right. Where is if that concern located yeah. and how do we change it? And I, right. so I don't think we can just say, well, we can't regulate tech because China. Mm-hmm. It, like, that doesn't resonate right. with me particularly. Right. We should be concerned about China. We should be careful. We should think seriously about the national implica- national security implications, particularly on the infrastructure side. Sure. 
All right, good, Jane, because China, because AI. All right, because blockchain. Right. So AI, blockchain, and 5G in particular are words that people use to mm-hmm. mean like ma- tech Dumb magic. Tech. Yeah. tech magic. <laughs> this tech magic will solve all of our things. 5G, I don't know if you've heard, 5G is going to solve all of your <laughs> tech problems. Apparently, allegedly. In so, like from 2030 what I, when right. it may be accessible on your phone. Yeah, I'm hoping to be dead by then, but go ahead. <laughs> keep going. Um, near death. Yeah, and AI people use just to mean like, Computer magic, right? Um, blockchain again. I think they're. I think they're yeah. terms that people use. Yeah. Uh, to me, they feel very like marketing, mm-hmm. and that's fine if you're using them to mean what they actually mean. Mm-hmm. But I find it actually irritating yeah. when people use them yes. as a. Well, you maybe couldn't understand this. It's this very technologically complicated but really important thing that you don't want to screw up. Yes, exactly. You know, we didn't even get to Amazon, which we'll do in another another time. Are you you guys investigating them, too? Can't comment on it. Oh, my goodness. Someone is. They're being investigated also. We'll get to that. But they're still sort of in the bucket of these big platforms. Yeah, and listen, I think there are reasonable questions being raised about all the very large companies. Right. Reasonable questions should all be investigated. A hundred percent. And uh, immediately Facebook dating. You need to get on that. Uh, really <laughs> important questions should all be investigated. A hundred percent. Facebook dating. I just don't. I'm sorry. They can't have that. They can't have that. They can't have that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid comment. Yeah, don't comment. Don't, don't even comment. Anyway, thank you, Commissioner Slaughter. I would, would love to have you come back on the show, and we'll talk about more as these things begin to develop. Um, but I do think it's really important that government— has and and needs the people who are elected. You're not elected, but the government is elected by the people and should have representation with these companies. It's critically important. Yeah, and I think it's important to be transparent yep. about you the work that. that we're doing. I want to know everything that you gave away well, and the, kept. And the minimum fun. I can do is be transparent about how I'm thinking All right, about okay. my job. Well, I, and love I, will your, I love your you essays, that. and I would urge everyone to read her dissents on some of these things because they do give you a lot of insight into what went on uh, between the commissioners, which is Perfectly fine. That's you know you yeah, have. Yeah, that's all fair to be in the public. Fair to be in the public. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer Eric Anderson is at Erica America. My producer Eric Johnson is at Hey Hey ESJ. Commissioner Slaughter, where can people find you online and the FTC? I am on Twitter at RK Slaughter FTC. And the FTC itself has the at FTC. FTC. And the other commissioner, three of the other commissioners are on, too. On, too. All right. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. By the way, all the FTC should be on Twitter. Yes. They should. I'm sorry. All of them. All the different services. Maybe not Instagram. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them on our podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. <laughs>